Hello and welcome to Dogged Pages with UKY authors Lucy Powery, that's me, Lauren James, a podcast full of book recommendations and writing advice. Today we're talking about retellings. What is a retelling to you? What do you think is essential to do with retellings and what can you change? That is such a good question. I feel like there are so many different forms of retellings and different ways that you can tell different stories um, based on how old the stories are. I think retellings change depending on when you're writing them. Um, but for me, a retelling is taking a story, either one that's well known and well loved or one that isn't as well known um, and making it into something different so that could be a different form um, you could be setting it in a different time um, it could change or gender swap the characters which I think is a great way of retelling a story um, so I think I think a retelling is can be very nuanced and the idea of a retelling can encompass lots of different things but I think at its heart, it is about telling a story in a different way. What about you? I've always been quite scared to write any retellings because I feel like there's already such brilliant versions that I could never add anything that would make it worth the reader's while of reading my version. And I think that that is because you can't just re retell the story. You have to add a new level of context, uh, maybe make it more applicable to modern day life if it's a 500 year old story, or like you said, change the characters um, so that they're different genders or different places in society, change the setting so it's not historical, it's modern. Do something that puts a new slant on it and makes you see a very very familiar story in a different way when I think about the retellings that I enjoy reading and watching they aren't the ones that are very similar to the source material uh, they're the ones that do new things and obviously you immediately think of like for fairy tales the Disney versions are kind of the the main cornerstone versions of those stories that we all think of but um, when you look at the original fairy tales they're often way more interesting than the Disney stories and there's so many things there that you can pick up on uh, and myth, like if you're telling a mythology story there's always these different gruesome elements that you can use to tell a story really well that you might not necessarily see in every version so I think if you want to do a retelling well you really do have to see all the different versions do do your research into every uh, story that's been told and try and pick out all the most interesting bits and then add a new layer to those. I think one of the interesting things about retellings as well is that sometimes people can think that they're just uh, reworking the same story and not doing it justice or they shouldn't touch a story that's already been written but when we look at even a writer like Shakespeare he was still retelling stories and yet his stories and the way he tells them are the most well-known ones but he was taking inspiration from lots of different sources and lots of already existing stories so the idea of retellings is not a new one um, and yet I feel like the way that we have approached retellings and the way that they are viewed has changed a lot over time as well. What's your opinion on characterization? Do you think that you have to retain some core elements of the original characters? Like, is there something that makes Cinderella Cinderella? Or can you have any character be put in that story as long as she has some kind of motivation and character traits that make her act the way that Cinderella is supposed to act? I don't think it's even so much about character traits, but I think it's about 
uh, probably the morals behind the story. So I suppose the moral of Cinderella is it's this entire story about transformation and about turning from nothing into something and also the whole side plot well I suppose it's not even a side plot but I I suppose the whole plot about her stepsisters and her stepmother it's about teaching um, a lesson of how you should be and how you should act so I think as long as you're sticking to that framework of the story and keeping to the heart of it I think anything goes in a retelling. It's interesting because looking at Cinderella like she's a character that does seem very weak by modern standards in that she doesn't really stand up for herself she lets herself get pushed around a lot and yet when you go back and like look at the root story there there is a lot of strength that you can draw on that's not necessarily shown in a lot of retellings and I think even for a story like Cinderella which has been told like over and over again for hundreds of years there are still things in there which I could find if I was gonna decide to invest the time in rewriting Cinderella to bring out that I haven't seen done before and that's how I can see the appeal of writing kind of YA novels based on Sleeping Beauty in space is that there is always going to be something there that in a different framework you can tell a story again in a new way. One of my favourite Disney films isn't even one of kind of the main films it's Enchanted which (laughs) is... (laughs) hello Oliver (laughs) he's here he's making his presence known our best podcast guest (laughs) and only yeah Yeah, only but I mean he still counts so as I was saying before Oliver rudely interrupted me (laughs) um my favorite Disney film is Enchanted and um it's not even a direct retelling but it takes a lot of inspiration from all the other Disney films and and there's got lots of elements of the other so I don't even think a retelling has to um be based on one single source I think a retelling can also mix lots of others Um, and I I don't think that a retelling has to be strict either I think you can just allude to certain elements of another story um, and it still counts as a retelling. When I was planning this episode uh, so many of the books that came to mind I realised weren't retellings at all they just felt like they were because they use the kind of fairy tale tropes and plot lines that are so familiar to us that feel comforting to read um, but they weren't a specific fairy tale. So uh, Howl's Moving Castle really feels like a fairy tale, but you can't pin down which it could be. Stardust by Neil Gaiman, uh, The Bloody Chamber, uh, The Tale of Despero was another one that I was like, surely this is a fairy tale, but it's not. And The Gloaming by Kirsty Logan is a very adult fairy tale, which uh, really feels magical in those old familiar ways. So one of the things I really like about fairy tales is that they work both if you know the source material or if you don't. Um, So often you can have a very rich reading experience, even if you aren't aware of the source material, because a lot of the times I've read uh, retellings without knowing there were retellings because I wasn't familiar with the original Asian fairy tale or uh, African fairy tale that it came from. Uh, But when you do know, it kind of uplifts the whole thing and you get this whole new layer, like the writer is talking directly to you. So some of the ones we've already talked about were Spinning Silver from the last episode and Ella Enchanted from episode one, which were Rumpelstiltskin and Cinderella. 
and I think when I read both of those I didn't realize at first that there are retellings and then when I found found out probably from Goodreads I was like oh my god that makes so much more sense of these plot lines and it it makes it better in a way that I, I, I could I enjoyed it without knowing that but now I do know it I have more opinions on it have you ever had any like that that you didn't realize were retellings until afterwards I can't think of a single example but I suppose when you were talking I was really thinking about um, the purpose of a retelling and whether the purpose is to attract old readers or familiar readers or whether it is to attract new readers and I think that is one of the appeals of retellings now is that they update and modernise versions of stories because if you think about old fairy tales, old mythology um, and old stories as well, um, I think people can often feel excluded from them. Um, And so I think the purpose of a good modern retelling should be to update those stories and bring them into a modern, wider audience um, that is more inclusive and um, I suppose more kind as well. I definitely agree that um, making them more inclusive and modern is a big appeal. Uh, And one of the examples that I remember, I must have read this about 15 times when I was little, was Spindle's End by Robin McKinney, which is a retelling of Sleeping Beauty. And it starts with a witch stealing the baby princess. Instead of cursing her, she takes her away and treks with her across the country for weeks to get her home. And uh, it's a really interesting take on Sleeping Beauty because it's just everyone is like this amazing female character they're all like witches in the really cool modern sense of witches that just go around like making herbs and magic spells and not talking to any men in the village and the princess grows up with this witch family to be a tomboy who communes with wildlife and hangs out with the local blacksmith and it's just such a surprising take and it made the female characters who in fairy tales can often get the short end of the stick it gave them back control of the plot and made them um the main characters in their own story again so of course there are lots of different forms of fairy tales as well um lots of different versions and lots of different ways of telling the story so when you're approaching a specific fairy tale to make a retelling of it it's interesting to know which route do you go down which sources do you take inspiration from which um do you include in your retelling and so i think it's also interesting that when you have a central story it's not just one um direct version of it actually fairy tales are told and retold many many times before they've even reached us they've been passed down and i I think the reason that these fairy tales and myths and legends are so fantastic now is that they have lasted sometimes a millennia they've lasted thousands of years in order to reach us and so there must be something in them that has attracted generation after generation otherwise they wouldn't have reached us so I think by the time that they have got to us by the time they are ready for us to shape into our own uh, version I suppose it's like a filtering down system in that you have almost the heart or the purity of that story now and and that is one of the reasons that makes them so brilliant it's so interesting as well because it is really like these are communal stories that everyone's left their mark on and they've done research at uh, durham university 
that Jack and the Beanstalk is from a story like that you can trace back through to the Indo-European language more than 5,000 years ago. Beauty and the Beast and Rumpelstiltskin are 4,000 years old. There's a story about the smith and the devil, about a blacksmith selling his soul in a pact with the devil in order to gain supernatural abilities that is 6,000 years old. So these stories really go back all the way to the Bronze Age. And there is something in there, whether it's like a moral that we need to learn that we always want to tell our children or uh, something about uh, teaching us about people and how to have interactions with other people that keeps these stories going and spreads them all across the world even if they end up in different forms now that are very unrecognizable from each other originally they came from the same place and that didn't just start with the Brothers Grimm that started thousands of years before them. When is a retelling literature and when is it fan fiction because if you think about it all of these retellings uh, are just like fan fiction AUs aren't they alternate universes I don't see any problem with it being considered fan fiction I think fan fiction is amazing it's this thing that people do for free they write novels they get no money out of it and no expectation of money out of it and they just do it for the love of the source material and because they want to share that with other people and so if every retelling ever gets called fan fiction I think that is brilliant and if it brings more people to fan fiction even better and I certainly wouldn't be offended if I uh, wrote a novel that was a retelling and people referred to it as fan fiction but that probably says more about me than anyone else so uh francis bufford recently announced that he had written a uh retelling or sequel to the narnia books and everyone was amazed and really impressed with this that he'd spent this time doing this and they were seeking out permission from the estate of c.s lewis to get this pu- published and yet nobody seemed to be referring to it as fan fiction which is what it was it was a continuation of the source material as fic and I thought that was incredible that in this whole conversation that never came up Uh, I think it's especially interesting that he chose to do it about Narnia which is in itself almost a retelling it's a Christian allegory and has a lot of biblical elements to it and I find that the relationship between the publishing industry and the fan fiction world and the retellings retelling world very murky grounds uh recently seth graham smith who wrote pride and prejudice and zombies which is a book that takes the jane austen text which is out of copyright and adds in passages to make the characters uh, lizzie bennett and mr darcy be fighting zombies he was recently taken to court by his publisher hachette as he tried to turn in a new manuscript late that was in a large part an approximation of a 120 year old public domain work and he was told to return what he'd been paid of his his three million pound book contract and I think the whole thing seems very lazy firstly that he could just copy and paste passages into an existing work which goes back to what what you were saying about the whole point of a retelling is to uplift the original text and add something a new perspective to it and if you are just taking the original words then you're not doing that at all are you you're just being lazy (laughs) what do you think about that I think that when you consider fan fiction in comparison to a retelling, you have to think about the word fan and what people think of the word fan. I mean, it's often considered with like fandom, um, with fan girls, and I think 
at its heart, when we consider the word fan, we consider it in quite a disparaging way, something that is kind of seen as a bit weird, like, why are you so enthusiastic about something? Um, and so a retelling is fan fiction, but really... I suppose that people are saying that if it's a retelling, it's fine. But as soon as you consider being a fan, being enthusiastic about something over the normal levels of being a fan of something, then there is something unseemly about it or something uncool about it when really they might just be the same thing or they might be considered something quite amateur about fan fiction when you consider a narnia fan fiction slash retelling or pride and prejudice and zombies what you're really thinking about is who can write these stories who is allowed to write these retellings and what is the difference between a retelling and fan fiction? Is there really any difference at all? And so I suppose it really comes down to do these men want to be considered um, alongside teenage fanfic writers? Do they want to be considered with over-enthusiastic fans? Or do people use the term retelling in order to seem more literary? I mean, that's a big question that I would ask. Um, and I'm not commenting on either writer because I don't know enough about either of them and how they would approach that. But I think that really when we consider fan fiction, you are just retelling a story in a different way and you're interacting with the text in the same way as you would with a retelling. But really, I think it comes down to that terms and how we consider both of them. Someone like Francis Spufford is too literary and accomplished to be writing fan fiction and that if he is uh, focusing on Narnia, he must be elevating the text to a more academic level uh, and rather than looking at the, the relationships and the kissing like fan fiction does, which is obviously not what fan fiction is about. There's some very literary fics that are beyond anything that is being published and I I agree that it just says a lot about the people uh, having these conversations and um, making these decisions that they are choosing to address it in a different way. So that leads us quite nicely onto our first recommendation, which is the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. I am really excited to discuss this because I think the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is a great way of thinking about retelling a story that we know and love so much. I am a huge Pride and Prejudice fan. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, but I was a bit nervous, I suppose, at first when I first watched the Lizzie Bennet Diaries because it is a web series in which the main character Lizzie Bennet is retelling the story of Pride and Prejudice in vlog form which honestly is the coolest thing but I was so worried because how do you approach changing that story into something one that is her talking directly to the camera um, and two is also in a modern setting um, in a completely different way than the original story is told and it's not exactly a retelling in the sense of a fairy tale it is a story that is relatively new in the history of um, other retellings but actually it was so well done and I think paved the way for lots of other web series too so I loved it 
so so much and I loved interacting with that story in a different way because I feel like with every retelling I either read or watch or um, any retelling that I consume um, it is about interacting with the text that original source material in a different way and with each interaction I think you can consider the story in different ways it changes your opinion of the original text it also um, might shape the way you think about about it going forward in the future and so every time I consume something different like this I really think about the ways that stories are told and how that is changing. Can you imagine Jane Austen thinking about her book being turned into a web series? She wouldn't have even known what that was um, but actually it works so well and um, I just love it I think it's one of those things that you can watch if you want to binge watch the entire thing or if you just want to dip in and out of it it is perfect I think it goes back to what we were saying as well about uh, doing something new with it that shows you more about the time in which like the modern time in which it's being set because the Lizzie Bennet diaries were produced when YouTube was very new vloggers were just getting started they were still this uh, thing that the general public didn't know what they were and the fact that you had Lizzie Bennett as a vlogger said so much about uh, that and made it directly applicable to the viewers in a way that having her be a journalist a newspaper uh, company uh, in a dying time of journalism would not have made sense for her character and it really makes you look at the story of Pride and Prejudice and consider uh, what it would be like to be her at this point in history and how we can still learn from her and relate to her even though this story was written 200 years ago. I think that's a really interesting point too about relating to the characters and actually when we're thinking about relating to the characters when you read a book do you relate to the characters because they're in that situation experiencing those things or is it the way that the author is writing about them and actually I think that when if I was to approach writing a retelling I would look at that heart of the character and that's what it's about rather than looking at their situation it's about that feeling and the emotions that go with it which I think is what makes any good book and it is like what are the core things that make Lizzie Bennet Lizzie Bennet like obviously we know she has to be quite funny she has to be very uh, take life in a very light sort of way but the specific way she can do that is not absolutely fixed and we can still recognize Lizzie in the behavior of a, a person that is nothing like how she behaved in the original book because we're in a modern time where the behavior of a young woman is expected to be different from how it was then and you need to upgrade her behavior to match that to make her as shocking and as bold as the original Lizzie would have felt to people at that time and the audience seeing it and I think another example of that is Clueless which is the modern 90s adaptation of Emma by Jane Austen and looking back at it now it does feel a very 90s film in the same way that the Lizzie Bennet diaries captures the kind of early age of YouTube Clueless captures the early 90s and that takes the character of Emma who in the book is a very very modern uh, lady and makes her modern in shocking in a 90s sort of way uh, that wouldn't necessarily have been anything like the Emma that we see in the book because what's really important I think is 
capturing the tone and the core values and making sure that they're conveyed rather than that the character stays true to the original character would you agree with that can I make a confession because I have (laughs) never read Emma by Jane Austen it's the only one I haven't read yet which I need to read but I'm putting it off because I don't want to finish all of her books so I've never watched Clueless and I've never read Emma because I just can't bring myself to yet what am I going to do when I don't have anything (laughs) more of Jane Austen to read (laughs) then you go and read the retellings because there are lots of them the Jane Austen project took uh, all of the books by Jane Austen and had published retellings by famous authors so Joanna Trollope retold Sense and Sensibility Val McDermid retold Northanger Abbey which I checked on Goodreads and I rated it one star so I was clearly very very upset with what she did oh with dear. that book. I can't vaguely remember it. I think I was upset that they got a crime writer to tell the one that feels most like a YA book. And she was basically trying to reinvent the YA genre with it. And she did had not read any YA, so it did not feel good. But um, I can't remember the specifics of why I gave it one star, but I clearly didn't like it. Uh, Alexander McCall-Smith retold Emma and Curtis Sittenfold uh retold eligible which was pride and prejudice uh have you read any of those no i have not i'm so you not just have emma you have all of the retellings to read as well i have all of them to read i'm such a bad <laughs> reader i feel so unread tonight <laughs> even the one star ones you have those to look forward to <laughs> yeah i mean i'm not so convinced now that you said that <laughs> <laughs> you will have a lot of opinions about it i think which would make it more interesting to discuss but it might make you very angry as well really enjoyed the pride and prejudice retelling eligible but i wanted to talk specifically next about a different book by Curtis Sittenfeld which is American Wife so this is a novelized and fictionalized story of Laura Bush's life so this was George Bush's wife and the character is not called Laura Bush she has a different name so it's definitely kind of a fictionalized version that's a step away from her life and it almost feels like a retelling so it takes the core uh, recognizable traits of Laura Bush she's a children's librarian she's very liberal and of George Bush being from a very rich family in the east coast of America who's whose dad and family are politicians and who is quite goofy and silly and dumb and uh, a party boy uh, and uh, slowly is encouraged to go into office and become the president of America and it takes that storyline and follows the Laura Bush character's life uh, as this goofy boy she marries and falls in love with when she's a girl becomes president and his uh his political views are directly opposing to her own and just looks at the interior life of the woman standing on the side of the famous man that we all know and it is so interesting because it's a retelling of a real person it goes into such uh, detail that it includes a, a scene where the Laura Bush character hits a boy with her car and he dies which is something that actually happened to Laura Bush and it's obviously going to be still a very emotional thing for her and this is about a a story about a woman who is still alive like how must Laura Bush have felt when she read that Uh, because obviously she's gonna have read it it's a book about her and she's a librarian (laughs) she'll have read it the minute that came out Um, and when you're writing that are you writing it aware that the character you're writing about exists and will read your words like it is such an interesting meter book from on so many levels of what is a retelling and how do you approach the 
morals of that uh, and is it okay is it like writing rpf real person fic uh, it really does become this weird area that makes it so interesting especially when the whole point of uh, the book american wife is looking at um this person just uh, all of her thoughts on how to deal with life when she disagrees with what's going on around her and how to live as a real person it just becomes such an interesting experience to read and uh curtis sittenfeld is writing another retelling of a real person she's going to do the story of hillary clinton um i don't know if what she's going to call that as she's already called one american wife <laughs> that seems like the perfect title for her too so i'm very interested to read that um do you think that you would ever tell the story of a real person whether they're alive or not I was gonna ask you the same question <laughs> so we're obviously thinking along the same lines I am unconvinced I would never say never to writing anything um for at this moment in time I don't think so nobody that was alive anyway I feel very unconvinced that as I was writing, I would be able to do that person justice. Um, and I'm always aware when I'm reading anything, when I am um, reading anything from anybody's perspective, that you, especially when you're writing about a real person, can't see inside that person's head. So you might be able to see how they're experiencing life, but you can't know how they're experiencing life. And I think that comes with writing any character that you don't have personal experience of is how can you say how that person feels I've actually just started reading A Vicarage Family by Noel Streetfield um, and in the author's note which is totally coincidental I didn't realise we were going to go down this direction when we began talking um, she talks about how um, an autobiographer is one who writes his own history and this as far as her growing up years a concern she has to her best knowledge done and she is the Vicky of the book so she's used Vicky as the name instead of Noel um, but she talks about but how does the autobiographer handle a brother and sisters, how they looked, how they appeared to me as a person? Yes. But were they like that inside? Which I think pretty much sums up all my thoughts. I think she said it far better than I ever could. That is such a good point about other characters in an autobiography. You can never get them right. My question is, could you write about yourself as a younger version and get that right? Because I don't think I could. I don't think I could capture who I was at 14 uh, now and get that accurate to who I actually was at 14. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, the only writer I've ever read who kind of feels like she's experiencing life in a way that makes sense to experience life is Virginia Woolf because she writes in her stream of consciousness style and she's not narrating the story she's flitting about and so you actually I think because everything is so unclear you get a better view of things in this kind of weird way um so I love reading Virginia Woolf because I don't fully understand everything that's going on and I think that is the intention because you can never fully capture what existence is like which is very deep this is turning in a very <laughs> you know this is turning into a very deep conversation but I don't think you can capture what life is like as you are living it and so when you're writing about something in the past, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think I could write about that. I could capture the same feelings, possibly, but maybe 
50%, 60% of what I was feeling. It's never going to be 100% of the truth. Um, and my truth is so different to the truth of everybody else, even if you're in the same room experiencing the same things. So how can you capture that? I think also as well, I could never write myself without putting what I know now onto my experiences of what I knew then. So I would always be writing from adult Lauren's perspective of what child Lauren was doing instead of actually what child Lauren was thinking and feeling because I will judge that by what I know now to be true if that makes sense hindsight is a wonderful thing (laughs) uh you were telling me something earlier about Edgar Allan Poe's murder mystery party which is a very intriguing title so I've been waiting this whole episode to learn more about this could you tell me what this is and where you can find it (laughs) so I am throwing all the web series recommendations out there at the moment because I don't think that I have watched a really good web series in a long time and I think the last one I watched that was so good was Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Party which is amazing. So actually there is some crossover with the Lizzie Bennet Diaries because this is a web series following a group of authors who are invited to Edgar Allan Poe's house because he wants to impress Annabelle Lee with a dinner party and so like Charlotte Bronte turns up and the actress who plays Charlotte Bronte is also Lizzie Bennet in the Lizzie Bennet Diaries Oscar Wilde, Emily Dickinson all these amazing famous authors like Mary Shelley as well all turn up for this dinner party and then people just keep getting murdered and they have to figure out who the murderer (laughs) is of all of these authors and it's so amazing and I don't usually like this kind of thing I get really protective over my image of an author and I feel like that is one of the huge problems with any like established old author is that everybody always thinks they know who they were I feel like oh I'm not actually watching this person like they're not them it's you can tell it's like an actor or an actress but this I just loved so much because it was actually so funny a little bit over the top and you could tell that it was like a fictionalized version and that's what made it so brilliant because it didn't pretend to be the truth it just took elements of the characters and I'd completely forgotten the ending and now I just remembered how it ends and it is so perfect so just watch it for the ending because I mean just imagine adapting <laughs> all of those authors and putting them into the same room and then making them all interact and making them all solve a murder. It is brilliant. Do you think the appeal of those kind of things where the characters are not anything like those people in real life because the situation they're in is just so surreal and nothing like they would ever interact with. Do you think the appeal is just that we're getting references and like clues to and jokes in jokes about these things and te- people and texts that we know? know so the appeal is more that you feel like you're in on a big reference rather than that it's actually about what Charlotte Bronte would do at a murder mystery yeah because that is exactly my type of humor I mean I love a good Bronte inside joke that only I get um, <laughs> we all that, get this about you. yeah I mean this is this is an obvious thing about me but I just I love those references they feel so me um and so when I watch something like that or read something like that I just feel like somebody's looking into my soul and thinking like oh wow that's a weird brain to live in. (laughs) So I wanted to talk a little bit about Circe and the Song of Achilles by Madeleine Miller because these are retellings of Greek mythology and they are some of my favourite books. They feel genuinely like modern classics 
Greeks because they're just so beautiful. And I have no background in Greek mythology. I don't really know any of the gods except Zeus. Uh, but these books blew me away and they make these complicated myths with loads of different storylines to keep track of feel real and made them feel like people you could actually know. The first book is The Song of Achilles, which is a kind of a romantic retelling of the Trojan War from the perspective of Achilles and Patroclus. And it is definitely a romance, although if you know the mythology, it doesn't end well. You should brace yourself for tears and heartbreak. But I kind of recommend reading Circe first if you haven't read any of her books, because it gives you a better grounding into the world of Greek myths. It kind of looks at the whole history of Greek myths and tries to make a coherent chronological storyline out of them by telling it from the perspective of Circe, who was a witch that was banished to an island. And uh, Miller does this by having lots of different people visit her island. She leaves the island to go and uh, pop into other myths that don't necessarily include her. So she creates the sea creatures that appear in the Odyssey. She uh, aids Prometheus and helps birth the Minotaurs. She gives pep talks to Jason and the Argonauts. She has flings with Hermes and fights with Artemis. And obviously she meets Odysseus, which is what she is known for. And it just makes it seem like they're the cast of a sitcom and that they are real people. And all of the characters jump off the page. And it, even though there isn't this central romance like the song, A Song of Achilles to, to root for, it really does grip you. And it is such an interesting way of doing a retelling because she's not, she's not just retelling one single storyline where she's taken the plot line of Mulan and told a new story about that. She's taken this whole history and canon of an entire civilization and tried to make it uh, make sense in the modern way that we tell stories in this has to all fit together. You have to have nothing that contradicts itself. The characters have to actually behave in ways that a character would rather than just being crazy people. Like Cersei at one point in the myths, she turns men into pigs uh, and this is a we really weird thing for her to do, but Miller justifies it and she shows you the behaviour that has and backstory that could possibly lead up to a witch doing something like that in a way that makes you believe in it. It's really interesting to look at how she has modernised this classic uh, and retained the original story while also taking something ancient and making it palatable to a modern reader. So the Greek myths famously have a lot of incest and murder and rape and death but the story that she tells is feminist and uplifting and it makes sense logically from the way that we recognize story plots and arcs having to go it works and it is really a an underrated piece of fiction like Madeleine Miller gets a lot of credit but I think she deserves even more because she does something so special in her books and I think it is interesting as well that she's taking this story and doing it from the perspective of almost a side character she's not talking about it from Zeus's point of view it's Circe and she's not in these stories but Midler finds a place for her to go and I think if I was going to do a retelling it would be from to approach it from a new angle like that so I would write a prequel or a sequel or take a side character's point of view and see the story from their perspective so some examples of people doing that are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead which is a retelling of Hamlet from the point of view of some side characters or Under a Dancing Star by Laura Wood, which is a prequel to Much Ado About Nothing about Beatrice and Benedict having an early romance before they break up. 
Uh, and I think that there is so much you can do there because you are more free in that you're not so confined by this is where the character has to be at this time, this is where they have to be at this time. There is spaces within the story and little holes of time when you can have things happen and then bring them back in to where the plot is supposed to be when they are needed. So have you read any of Madeline Miller's books? I haven't. I keep wanting to, but I probably shouldn't say this because it's one of the phrases that really annoys me, but I'm scared of all the hype and I don't like the phrase hype because I mean a good book is a good book for a reason and that's why people are talking about it but it does scare me slightly that I won't enjoy it when I read it because I enjoy mythology I enjoy um reading um that kind of stuff but I don't know a lot about it and I suppose when I read something like that and I suppose this is the purpose of it anyway is to bring it to a new audience to make it feel like it is accessible but I feel like it will make me feel slightly inferior or slightly stupid if I don't understand all the references or the like allusions or anything like that and if I'm reading a book that I love and know a lot about then I feel secure in liking that but if it's something I'm not sure about and I've never read anything like it before then I feel insecure if I don't know everything about it and I'm not an insecure person I'm not even saying that it's like a big thing but I suppose there is this tiny voice in your head when you read stuff like that or you think there will be that tells you that oh I'm not good enough for that or I won't understand everything and so I suppose when I'm approaching what I should read now I try to read things that will scare me slightly because I think that's how you grow as a reader. I think that is interesting in that it relates back to what you were saying about Edgar Allan Poe's murder mystery party or whatever it's called was that you enjoyed it because you felt like you were getting the references and it was written for you and then at the same time you feel scared to approach something like a retelling of a Greek myth because you feel like you won't get the references and yet the reality is that probably both of those things could be enjoyed without knowing the source material at all on getting the jokes and that's what makes it skillful as a retelling I think that you need to have a writer who can pull off having a plot that appeals to the brand new reader who's never heard of any kind of literature before in their life and also gets the person who has read everything twice and written essays on most of it and makes them see something new in the thing they already understood. I think that no matter who you are and what your knowledge is, a retelling is there to make sure that that story is for you. Um, and I think that is why these stories have lasted so long and why they continue to be so popular. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Next time we'll be talking about books and films about the royals. So the British monarchy and the American monarchy in a few cases and how those people interact with common people i am so excited and if you have enjoyed this episode and would like links to everything we've discussed you can find more in our show notes and if you would like to discuss anything we have discussed with us you can find us on twitter at lucy the reader and lauren underscore e underscore james It's a very unwieldy Twitter handle, I'm sorry. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Bye.